Hello, everybody, and indeed, welcome to Hoosier Hometown Heroes, Episode 8, and Happy New Year, Hoosier friends. I hope 2018 will be everything you hope for and more. For me, my New Year's resolution is just to survive this cold. What is going on with these negative temperatures in our Circle City? Please subscribe to Hoosier Hometown Heroes on iTunes or Stitcher. You can find us on Twitter at HHHIndy and on the web at HoosierHometownHeroes.com. Now back to this cold spell, I'll tell you who doesn't have to deal with the cold is Chuck Pagano, who, of course, just got fired from the Colts. Say what you will about his coaching ability. I'm just very grateful for the way he represented our team in our city. I think Coach Pagano is a great human being, and I wish him the very best. Speaking of amazing human beings, today's guest is real-life supervillain Chris the Brain Hoyt. Maybe you've seen Chris speak around town. If you have, I'm sure you remember it. When Chris speaks publicly, he usually admits within the first 20 seconds that he is a, quote, megalomaniacal narcissist bent on world domination, unquote. How's that for an attention getter? Chris kind of ruined other local speakers for me because how do you compete with a real live comic book character? After seeing Chris speak, everyone else seems so dull. Well, we've got Chris the Brain all to ourselves for the next hour or so. But first, here with the heart of the matter is technical producer Louis Val, who just finished editing the audio interview. So, Lou, who is this Chris the Brain? A super villain that has like a super brain. Yes, he surely has that. Oh, and uh, let listeners know what you thought when I told you I was interviewing a supervillain bent on world domination. I thought you were going to get killed. (laughs) Child abuse. But no, as you can see, I survived. I'm sorry about that, Lou, that you had to worry. Uh, But at any rate, let's get to the heart of the matter. If you could distill the Chris the Brain interview into just one or two thoughts... What would you tell people to listen for? Uh, just be yourself. Ah. It's too hard to be someone else. Yes, yes, yes. That's good, Lou. Thanks for that. And speaking of thanks, I must take a moment to thank our sponsor, Prometheus Consulting. Prometheus is Indy's choice for top-notch outsourced IT services. Let Prometheus manage your technology so you can manage your business. Call us today at 317-733-2388 and find us on the web at Prometheus.com. And now, please enjoy my conversation with none other than Chris the Brain Hoyt. Chris the Brain Hoyt, welcome to Hoosier Hometown Heroes. Hello. Here we go. Chris, so I've got to tell you, as I sit here, and I've I've not been doing, um, I don't have a ton of podcasts on my uh, resume yet, but I will say I've never had a guest who is both a live person and almost a comic book character. So I think my first question is, you have to explain to me, who is Chris the Brain? So, oh, that, that, took, that evolution took a while. Um, but yes, uh, I do consider myself a walking cartoon character. Well, your uh, logo, my God. I mean, isn't it safe to say your logo is a cartoon character? Yeah. So I, I'm, I have a cartoon avatar uh, that I use a lot. Um, it, uh, I like to think it matches my personality. So it, boy, I'm trying to think where to start that story. Um, so when I, I, I had a, a, a business partner, uh, we were running a marketing company and we, we would sit down in meetings with potential clients and it would be about 10 to 20 minutes into the meeting and someone would say, oh, you must be the brains. <laughs> That's interesting. Which, which I felt sorry for, <laughs> you know, cause that hearing that over and over, uh, with my business partner probably wasn't encouraging, but, um, it, we embraced it and it kind of became, it's the, it's the old, uh, pet, uh, is it Pet Shop Boys? 
Yeah. 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 They had the song Opportunity, like you got the brains, I got the Oh, yes. Looks. Let's make lots of money. Yeah. yeah. And so that's kind of where it started. It was, you know, um, uh, Todd Muffley, who I started Fat Out of Marketing with in Carmel, you know, back in the aughts. Um, he was definitely the personality, the salesman. Um, and so, well, that's hard to believe because now I know you as Chris, the brain. I mean, yeah. you're a walking comic book character around town. The only one I know of. And so that's hard to, to believe that you were in, in a, in an organization where, uh, you were not the kind of the song and dance man. As I you know, so we'll get to that. So I am, <laughs> uh, I am an introvert in disguise. Oh, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, completely. And, uh, so Anyways, we so it started sticking that I was the brain, he was the brawn. But then uh, we had a meeting with a client, and someone whispered to our salesperson that they go, "Chris has a sexy brain," <laughs> and and the the editor of the Current Carmel heard that, and he started uh, Steve Greenberg. He started calling me sexy brain, and I thought, okay, that's a bit much. I can't run with that. But it just the, the brain thing started catching on. And um, where, what really finally made me decide to run with it was um, a series of negative events that happened where I was brought in as a consultant to talk to a company. Someone would say, hey, we're struggling, thinking of ideas or whatever. Can you come in and talk to us? And I would walk away with one person saying, oh, we really love those ideas the other day. And another person being like, so-and-so really hates you. Like, so-and-so never wants to see you again. You gave him a bad impression, whatever. And it, and it just took a lot of, like, these events to happen where I, I, I almost felt blindsided. Mm. Like, what did I do? You know? And, and it just it, it took other people to kind of help me understand that um, sitting at a table, especially when you're invited in from the outside as a smart person, is very threatening to people. And it's, it's something that can be immediately off-putting. People see it as a threat. Um, and I don't like that. I don't like to think of myself as a threatening person. But at the same time, I like giving advice, and I like thinking of ideas, and I like uh, working on strategy. I like helping people fix problems. So I'm kind of like, well, so I'm going to have this problem in life. I'm going to keep walking into rooms, and I'm going to keep wanting to you know do the practice of SMART, like do the things that – you know, that, that entails, but at the same time, I, I don't like the kind of the threatening yes. stuff that comes with it. Oh, so, I totally get it. So, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've always, uh, I've always dealt with anxiety by being a comedian. <laughs> I see lots of humor in your presentations. Right. It's subtle, but it's definitely there. Uh, so I, I tend to crack jokes the more nervous I get. But to other people just interpret this as charisma. It's it's wrong, but it's what they interpret it as. <laughs> but I just thought in the end, what I decided was um, embracing this as a as a caricature, as a as a hyperbolic, over the top. You know, I'm uh, you know I am smart and and you know all this stuff. It, it means that when I come and sit at a table with people, I'm out of their world now. Like I'm not, even though I might be brought in as the brain and I'm, and I'm a smart guy, they, they don't like, I, I've, I've, I've given up all of my social privileges, like the suit and the tie <laughs> and the normal. And so when I come to the table, I'm not in there. I'm not in the, the, I'm not in that world. Like I'm not in the works. You yes. know what I'm saying? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm almost a foreign agent and you're, you're making fun of yourself a little bit and you're dis you're, uh, diffusing the, this, you know, the internal competition that your audience might have, you know, Oh, he thinks he's so smart. You right. know, uh, you know, I can write yeah. my own, uh, ad copy or whatever. Right. And, and there's a bit of a, there's a bit like being smart is the one thing you're not allowed to be in society. So you can be tall and, and you can say, I'm tall. No one's like, Oh, what an evil sign thinks he's tall. Mm. Sorry, how much can I swear on this show for you? Like, are we PG, PG, PG-13? I just realized... So far, we're PG, we're PG, but we'll see by the you end. keep it there? If you could. I'll try. If you can't, no big deal. Uh, you know? I have a six-year-old listener. That is one thing I forgot I to ask with. before we went into it. Um, so uh, you can be, you can say, I'm taller. I'm a very tall person. No one thinks you're arrogant. You yes. can say, like, I'm fast. Yes. You know, no one, no one looks at Usain Bolt. Yes. And goes, oh, that guy's, he's arrogant. You know, who does he think he is? Well, he's the fastest person in the world. That's what we think. And it's fine. We're all fine with that. There's a lot of things in life you can be good at, better at, best at. But the one thing you can't be is smart. If you're mm. smart, you're, you're, 
you know, everyone's like, oh, what's up with that guy? He thinks he's smart. It's weird. You know, that's interesting. I'll tell you a story that uh, might resonate with you. This is this is fascinating. I know uh, a uh, very hoity toity um, evolutionary psychologist mm-hmm. uh, who is a very kind of cutting edge guy. He's um, in in certain very small circles. He's kind of a world renowned guy. He's he's figured out how humans work mm-hmm. um, to this insane level. And he gives lech- lectures around the world. And um, I've seen some of his lectures, and he does this really interesting thing. He uses PowerPoint, but his PowerPoints are all hand-drawn slides, and they are the worst artwork you could possibly (laughs) imagine. They're horrible. And so he starts out every presentation. Before he even turns on PowerPoint, he says... uh, he says, you know, uh, you know, you're here to see a psychology talk and, and, and all that. And he says, you know, I, I, just so you know, I was really, this was my second career choice. My first career choice was art. My parents squashed my dreams. They wouldn't, uh, you know, they made me kind of get a real job. But um, my first love was, was being an artist. And that's really what I'm good at. And that's what I'm passionate about. But here's my psychology talk. Then he turns on PowerPoint. He sees he shows the absolute worst artwork slide to slide to slide, and every once in a while he'll make a crack about you know, kind of like isn't that great? You see what I mean about right. the whole artwork thing, and he's he's clearly diffusing the audience. And I asked him once. I said, Doug, you do that on purpose, don't you? He said, Oh, absolutely. It it, it was a calculated thing that he uh, a technique that he evolved literally out of the um, research, the psychology research that he was seeing and understanding, he said, ah, here's how I get my audience to actually diffuse and listen to me rather than sort Mm -hmm. of being put off because, you know, I'm so much smarter than everyone else. So isn't that interesting that you naturally, you found a a similar way uh, without necessarily knowing the science, you know, to some deep level. Um, So I'll share with you I first was introduced you, uh, to you, uh, not person to person, but I saw your Sparks talk, or Ace, I don't know if you've talked several times at Sparks, but I saw you at a Sparks talk, and... Um, was it the Why Be a Supervillain talk? Yes, yeah, okay. I believe so, yes. And I'm sure that my internal reaction was not uh, unique. Like, I, I went through this range of emotions, right? I thought, what is this guy doing, you know? And then I then I, I remembered thinking, wow, this is kind of funny and entertaining. And then I remember thinking, this is I'm learning something here too. And I think by the end of it, and of course, Spark talks are very uh, brief, but by the end of it, I was almost tired out because I went through this range of who is this guy. To by the end, it's like, oh my gosh, I learned something and I didn't see it coming. What reactions do you see and surely you must have friends who have told you chris enough with the brain thing man yeah what, what sort of reactions do you get yeah so first of all exhausting is a very common reaction <laughs> uh like i'm exhausted is a common expression people will make at the end of of time uh with me sometimes that is actually a thing that happens <laughs> um so, uh, do you mind if I if I expound on the point you just made, though? Oh, not at all. Hey, before, let's before go, go wherever there. we want to uh, go. But I want to. I just want to point out uh, two things on the on the smart thing, real quick. Yeah. So, um, I think there's. I think there. First of all, and I want to make this very clear. I don't think I'm better than anyone else by saying I, I'm smart. And I try to be specific to say here's the things I think I'm smart in. Yes. Um, and and I think everyone everyone definitely has something that they're brilliant in. And uh, it, it's it's the Einstein quote, um, every child is born a genius, but if you ask a fish to climb a tree, it'll spend its whole life thinking it's stupid. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have two children and they have extremely different gifts, right? Yes. Um, but I do, I think the reason saying you're smart has its own unique kind of, of stigma associated with it is, is twofold. First of all, I think it's because when we are children, that's the thing we, we find ourselves being judged by the most. Interesting. You know, we don't go to school 
and, uh, you know, get told that you're going to succeed in life by being the fastest or by being the kindest, or we're just told you're going to succeed in life by getting the highest grades. Right. So there's an immediate kind of threatening there. But I think the other reason is because we are inherently fearful of missing out on experiences. And so the idea of someone being smarter makes you feel like they're experiencing more, seeing more in, in the same reality that you're in. And, and I have learned this is true um, through um, kind of a recent, there's been a recent scientific uh, discovery that there, there's a small percentage of women in the world who have a fourth cone in their eye for color. Huh. So all of us have, you know, uh, I think it's like three, three cones for color. Uh, and, it, and it helps us put together kind of a certain spectrum of color range we can see. Okay. There's a small percentage of women who have a gene that gives them like a fourth color. So they see a broader range wow. of color than the rest of us. And I have found that that study is offensive. You Pe- found it's offensive to it, who? To you? A lot of people, when I talk about that, are offended by it. Like they get very flustered, very like, you know, like, like I, I don't believe that. Where, show me, you know, because the, the idea that there may be people on this earth that are seeing more colors and experiencing a, the reality in a different level than yeah. we are is, is inherently like, it, it almost feels like the biggest letdown, like I'm missing out. I you see. Know, yeah. You know, and well, of course, that's provably true. I mean, my dad was colorblind. I mean, there it is. Right. We all know there are colorblind people. That's interesting. Right. I think, don't you think, too, that our society right now, we are going through uh, quite this quite this strange period of time where no one wants to be different. Yeah. So, hyper, you know. I call it hyper normalization. Yeah. And it, uh, well, I, I, let me rephrase that. I, sorry, I didn't make that word up. Uh, I like the word hypernormalization. There's ah. actually a book on it. Uh, I can't remember who wrote it, but I think it's one of the most dangerous cultural movements we have right now. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of a quiet oppression. Uh, and it, it's something we definitely put on young people that is harmful. But it's kind of this idea that there's this constant pressure to be just super normal all the time. And I remember I had a neighbor who I would describe as suffering hypernormalization almost to a handicap. And he would uh, walk out of his house every day and just kind of look at what everyone else in the neighborhood is doing to make sure his house was normal. <laughs> and I, I think one of my favorite examples of this is um, a couple of our neighbors had wind chimes. Then we bought wind chimes. And then the next day, like it was just like that weekend, he bought wind chimes. But the funny part was is he didn't like, he, he didn't like wind chimes. He didn't know what, you know. Yeah. That he didn't understand the aesthetic of it. So he bought like the the gaudiest, ugliest, most like, oh, I saw wind chimes and grabbed them wind chimes you've just ever seen in your life. But we all knew he did it yes. because everyone else had wind chimes, so he had to get wind chimes. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know I'll, I'll share an interesting experience I had this morning. So uh, I won't. I don't need to get into details, but oddly enough, what what did I do first thing this morning? Okay, the first thing I did, I was at a Catholic mass, but which is not a real common occurrence for me on a on a Friday morning. But um, it was at a place. It was not in a Catholic church. Okay, and I was in the front row because who likes to sit in the front row? I got there late. I was in the front row, and of just like. I imagine most uh, religious uh, um, rituals to be, well, they're, they're rituals. You know, we stand now, now mm-hmm. we sit, now we, we do all this stuff as a group. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a time in the Mass where um, every, it was time to sit. But I noticed, because again, it was an odd venue mm-hmm. and all that stuff, everyone was standing. And so, like I said, I was in the front. And I, it just occurred to me, I'll bet if I sit down, everyone else is going to sit down. Let me try it. You know, we're all standing. I sit down and out of the corner of my eye, I'm watching everyone, everyone else sat down. They were waiting to follow the leader. Yeah. Right. Yep. It's the weirdest thing. So yeah. like, like the wind chimes yeah. thing. Yeah. And when you're in the front row, you have more eyes on you. So yeah. therefore you are now kind of oblique, like, uh, what is the, the term? Just de facto you know, initiator. Sure. Because you have the most visuals. If I'll the bet. guy in the back sat down, it wouldn't have the same effect. Of course not. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and I've noticed this, and I do this just for fun sometimes in meetings. 
everyone, for example, waits for someone else to eat first. No one will eat. Like, so if you bring to a meeting treats, yeah, um, I'm always the first one to like grab a treat because everyone else is is stuck in that like I have to wait before for it to be okay to eat. Yes. Um, and uh, uh, when a meeting's over, everyone wants permission to leave. So I, I tend to always be the first person to get up. And then everyone else gets a, oh, we have, per, you know. And it's just this, it's just like life is this like nonstop game of social chicken. Now, do you think that this predilection of yours, and I'll share with you, I'm the exact same way. Yeah. I think it's the kernel, it's the common kernel that we entrepreneurs have, right? I think kind of at its core, you are um, not afraid to think for yourself, and you're you're not afraid to think, you know, well, just because everyone else is doing something doesn't mean I have to do it, right? Do you think that little that that something that you have, this independence, is is part of what allows you to, uh, you know, work for yourself rather than someone else? Okay, so I'm going to flip that on its head. Yeah, go because you say, what if it's something I have? Yeah, I've spent a lot of time wondering if it's something I'm missing. Oh, because because I've because if you think about it from a purely evolutionary standpoint, yeah, there is no better thing to be afraid of than other people. Sure. I mean, if if you I mean, it just it's it's a statistical fact. If you're going to, you know, have, have deal with any threat in life, the greatest threat you're going to have is other people. Correct. And I think most human beings are born with, with a very evolutionary condition, just fear of everyone all the time. And somehow I'm missing that. Ah, that's and, interesting. And, and, I, and I sometimes wonder, I think, you know, because sometimes it's like, man, I feel like the whole world's crazy. But then I'm like, no, I, you know, I, obviously it's required because for some of us to have that because nothing ever moves forward. Sure. You know, and, and so you have these breakout, you know, people that, that try to move things in different directions. But I also can't help but feel that that there's either some kind of genetic selection going on in there for just a few. But if everyone had it, I also wonder how well we'd function socially. Well, you ought to um, you ought to go dig up Lincoln's uh, speech. I think it was it was in uh, 1864 ish where he talks I've heard it called the mudsill theory speech, and he's basically talking about the State of the Union. And mm-hmm. one of the things he says is um, he's talking about, you know, the, the, the British are going to try and change our way of life, with, which you can argue they ultimately did eventually. But at the time, he says, he says you know, something like 75% of us make our own way. We have our own, we have our own livelihoods. And he says practically everyone else is saving up to get a stake together so that they can work for themselves eventually. I think there's a window of time, if you look back in history, our history, where you can say, my gosh, everyone see, almost everyone seemed to have the ability to kind of write their own ticket and, and make their own, you know. Mm-hmm. There, there were maybe a lot of Chris the Brains walking around, uh, you know, who knows. But it's, it's interesting that you said that it might be something you're missing. That's fascinating. I don't, I, I just, I, a lot of, I mean, some people like you and I appreciate it, say it's a strength. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if I'm broken because it, 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 it causes a lot of, uh, it, it, so what I lack in fear, uh, in the moment of, you know, all right, well, meeting's over. I'm going to leave. Yes. You know, uh, that kind of thing. What I lack in that is made up for then in kind of a constant anxiety that I am on my own. Yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of people who do live in that kind of hyper normalization, you know, they 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 at least when society is in the condition for them to be so, they they get to enjoy the benefits of going to bed at night, feeling like they don't have as many enemies. They they get to go to bed at night uh, knowing that, you know, they're kind of in, you know, and accepted. Yeah. Uh, You know, and so when you. Uh, so, so what I lack for in fear there is made up for in kind of this constant uncertainty of, well, I'm pretty much on my own here. It is isolating yeah. when you, when you, the closer you get to really thinking for yourself and being, being a self-directed person, my experience is that it's more isolating people. Um, they don't understand you. 
quite quite as you know they there's something about you that you know hey he's nice but i kind of don't get where he's coming from you know um and it's and it's isolating i think it, well so your podcast i want to talk about your podcast and and wrap this together because um I knew that our interview was going to be like this. It was going to get very heady very quickly. Because Sorry. I've been, no, it's good. It's good. Uh, because I've been listening to your, to your podcast. Um, and so what made you decide, uh, let me pull up the uh, postmodern living uh, podcast. Yeah. What made you decide to start the podcast? And I think that will likely segue into um, Apprentice as well. Sure. So I've always kind of wanted to do a podcast. Yeah. Uh, I like creating content. I like writing. I like, you know, you've seen my videos. Sure. Um, and I've struggled with what to do a podcast on. Uh, and I would have started one maybe years ago. So I'm in marketing, but I don't like marketing. Um, you know, and, and it sucks because I'm, I'm good at it. Um, why don't you like it? Um, so I initially got into marketing. I want to try and make this short so we can get back to your first sure, question, which sure. is why I do the podcast. But I, I initially got into marketing, and I told my kids this the other day. It Actually, I, I've realized I went into marketing because it is the place where I saw the most chaos and disorder in the world. Interesting. Um, I started life... Uh, you know, in, in more of the IT world, huh. you know, uh, when I was a kid, I could fix everyone's computers. And so I thought maybe that would be a career choice. But what happened to me as I started getting out into the working world is that, is that I started getting very irritated by the constant chaos around me. And the, and the chaos around me is things like no one can seem to decide what projects we're focusing on for an extended period of time. Everyone keeps changing their minds on things. Every And when you're a kid, of course, you're told adults know everything. Listen to us. We know what we're doing. If you just do what you're told, you'll be okay. Anyways, so I get into my first corporate job. I'm helping build websites. And it's, it's madness all the time everywhere. Um, no one seems to understand what a website is. Uh, <laughs> I remember those and, days. And I don't remember. I, I didn't like being a young man explaining it to people. Uh, that was my first kind of adventure into that world, and it threw me off because uh, I figured they would be explaining it to me because mm. it was an experienced tech company. Sure, um, they people didn't seem to understand uh, very basic things, like for example, that when you put a website live, it doesn't mean everyone on the internet sees it immediately. You know, which, which to me seemed like just a basic fundamental engineering yes. truth. Yeah, that reminds me of your was it uh, your your tech makers uh, presentation or tech tech point? Yeah, Some, I, 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 I remember. Yeah, yeah, Rainmaker. It was a Rainmaker's tech event. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's... But but I said I said launching a website is equivalent to going live as putting a poster behind a dumpster in a back alley. <laughs> it is it is technically for public viewing. Yeah. And no one's going to see it. <laughs> uh, but but just all those things just kept like hitting me. Yeah. And, and, and my life just started kind of, I kept being pulled along this path of every time I tried to sit down and just do a good day's, honest day's work, I realized that I couldn't because there was this higher level of thinking that was flawed that meant the people in charge of me didn't know what to do next. And I kind of evolved from, uh, so like as a young kid, someone said, make me a website to sell this product. I'd say, okay, I'll do that. And it worked and it was functional. And then they'd say, well, no one's buying my product. And I'm saying, okay, how is that my thing? <laughs> yeah. I made the website exactly as you asked me to make it. Yeah. How is it my fault? No one's buying it. That's, you were supposed to be the one who knew whether people wanted it or not. You know, you can't, I mean, I mean, again, I'm a young guy. I'm thinking you can't just make up something out of the blue and expect people to buy it. But apparently that's what people were doing. And I, it huh. just blew my mind. And I was like, okay. So it just, it just kept evolving over time to me. Every time I did something for someone and, and it hit the limit of it can't work anymore because of this kind of next level of thinking that's flawed, I, I would make sure that the next engagement started at that next level of thinking. You know, have you thought through this? Have you thought through that? And and it just it it, it just was like a, a constant step up to being a consultant. Huh. 
you know, and now I'm sitting here going, I, I start my engagements with things like, have you tested this in the market yet? Have you gotten feedback? Have, you know, have you uh, uh, narrowed down your value proposition? Have you done the work necessary to make sure that your price point is meeting people where they are, you know? And, hmm. you know, so I've, I, uh, uh, you know, I have this big thing where I tell people, look, monetization is not a strategy. You pat yourself on the back for thinking of a way to charge people for stuff. That doesn't mean they're going to buy it. <laughs> uh, you know, make something that, uh, uh, make something that brings a lot of value to people, figure out how to charge for it later. You know, right. it, 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 that, that's how things work. And, um, it, it's frustrating. Uh, the, the problem is it's just been a long trek of misery <laughs> because it, um, and I, I hate, I hate my industry cause I started in digital marketing and digital marketers are more interested in selling people the services, whether or not they're needed. Yeah. Uh, it, well, uh, hey, my my industry is IT. You think I don't see that every day? Yeah, Holy same cow! Thing. Yeah. But yeah. It, you know, I mean, it, even even in 2017, no, not every business needs a Facebook page. No, not every business needs to be on LinkedIn. No, not every. Oh my God, your business probably doesn't need to be on Instagram. <laughs> well, so there, you, there's you, very few that that works well for. Yeah. Yeah. And Snapchat. <laughs> And I would rant on Snapchat, except I'm trying to keep in that PG rating. <laughs> there you go. No, I, it's funny because uh, I think you and I are kindred, kindred spirits, and I'm going to give you my spin on you and why you feel the way you do. Okay. Um, but it sounds like you're frustrated. You're frustrated with marketing in the way that I am frustrated with, you know, I, I mean, like the managed services IT mm -hmm. world. And I think what it boils down to is um, it's – if, if you're a person of integrity, you're surrounded by um, people that, that aren't necessarily that way. Yeah. And so I, I don't, I'm sure this has happened to you. This has happened to me. I'll have a, a, a client where I'll say, no, you don't need that whiz-bang thing, and here's why. Well, sometimes they, they have ego or who knows what, and by God, they want the whiz-bang thing. So they're going to go find uh, another IT support company that's going to sell them the whiz bang thing that I know darn well is just a waste of money. I think it's an integrity thing. I'll bet. Yeah. I'll bet. I'll bet that's ultimately why you're frustrated. Yeah, I'm, I make uh, less money now that I left the. Uh, <laughs> that okay, that could have something to do with it too. <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, I, leaving when I left the digital marketing agency uh, kind of world I'd started in, yeah. it was for that reason. I wanted to sleep at night, and it was more important to me. Than making money, and when you're in a digital marketing agency, your your motivation is not to um, give people very practical consulting on what they need to grow their business to the next level. Your motivation is to sell them a suite of services to raise your retainer. Right. And so that put me in an inherent conflict with my business partners and um, the situations I was in, and I just got tired of it, you know. And Tell me, me tell me about Apprentice. Well, I, I, and I'm going to say, I knew nothing about Apprentice until like a couple of weeks ago. So I, I want to hear that. all about it. Okay. Well, real quick though, I'm very close to answering your yeah. first question on, on why I started what the, the heck podcast. was my friend? Oh, why did you start? Okay. <laughs> good. Um, so, uh, your, your first question on why, uh, I started the podcast eventually yeah. came back to the fact that, um, actually I can answer both questions. Let's go I for it. I can pull these together. <laughs> So I've had a long history of working with young people. And uh, when we grew Fat Adam, I grew it out of an internship program. Um, and as a matter of fact, my first, uh, some of my first employees were 17 and 16. Awesome. They were still in high school, and I was training them to do, like, web development and things. That's totally awesome. Um, and, and I found it easy. I love working, I love working with young people. Um, I found it easier working than people who are set in their ways. Um, sure. And we, we were able to grow, you know, a great team out of that. And, but, but to me, it was very natural. So then as I uh, uh, become a consultant, uh, you know, I didn't think anything of the internship thing yet. But then I became a consultant. I'm in some of these different companies. They were talked into hiring interns by, like, uh, TechPoint and other things. Sure. And they'd get the interns. And they'd be like, I don't know what to do with them. Huh. And I'm like, okay, well, I do. You want me to manage them for you? And so... Uh, I spent several summers just managing internship programs on top of my consulting because I was there. Wow. And I could. Um, and so I kind of got to the end of that. Uh, so I'm going to answer both questions at once now. Uh, <laughs> I got Drum to, roll, please. I kind of got to the end of that, and yeah. I thought this might be a viable business model. Seems to be something people need because yes. interns uh, are, are, internships are the best way to grow a team. Hmm. 
because it, it, it means you're going to get people who are young, passionate, and kind of a clean slate where, especially if you're an innovative or a, um, you know, a little bit off different company, it's easier to raise a young person into good habits than it is to break and break someone else from bad habits. So I, I know several uh, high growth companies in the area where like at least 50% of their team comes from internships. So I just, a lot of people don't know how to run internships. A lot of people hate to dealing with interns um, or they, or they like interns, but anyway, so yeah. that's, so apprentice started out of um, out of out of this kind of you know what we have a workforce issue people are struggling to find talent talent work and yet while while all these businesses around me are going I, I can't find people I need I'm looking at a pool of young people I'm connected to going you won't hire them because you don't know how yeah you know you you don't know how to turn raw potential into into a polished profession and but I do so let's you know I figure let, let's pair these needs up now, so that's where Apprentice first started. The podcast came with the fact that after now talking with so many young people, I, these common themes come up of the fact that basically adults are lying to kids all the time. <laughs> Wait, now who says that? The kids say, say that adults are lying to us? No, I'm telling you that. Ah. I'm saying as a young man who's grown up in the world, and yeah. now, I've, now I'm on the adult side of it, yes. we're all lying to kids. Right. And we lie to kids because we lie to ourselves and we lie to each other. Yeah. We, we all put on a show nonstop that everything's going great and that we're all successful, important men of business. And we, 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 we've forgotten that we spend so much energy trying to project and fool our peers and everyone around us that we have everything under control that we forget that we're also lying to them to young people entering the, in, entering the world. And we're all so used to comparing our dirty underwear to everyone else's best dress that, that we all think we're the only one with dirty underwear. And, and so, so young people are coming into the workforce more, to me, I believe, um, uh, misaligned and misguided. Yes. Today, almost more than ever, because they come into this highly polished image world where, where almost everyone they meet they think has their stuff together, and, and then they're struggling. And then, and then the other thing, too, is because adults don't understand how to work with young people, there's kind of this constant, you know, what would in, in, maybe in another time be considered things like bad leadership, bad management, are now just called, oh, well, it's millennials, they suck. <laughs> and we just so we, we, we blame bad yeah. leadership and bad management and, and an inability to to uh, train up young professionals, we blame that on just, it's their generation yes. and we take no responsibility for it. So um, that, so, so while apprentice is kind of my way to say, I want to create a, a, a viable structure by which to, to just start solving this problem. How, how long has apprentice been in existence? Um, it's been, so it's had a couple iterations. But I think it's nearing on two years. Two years, yeah. and the the client of Apprentice is a business that wants to either start or improve their apprenticeship program. Um, it, it basically is a is a any company that that needs to take internships seriously. Hmm. So we we help people with summer internships uh, because sometimes people want to do summer internships, but they turn out to be a real big burden and disruption to their operations for sure. the summer. Oh yeah. So we can really help. Uh, not only make that experience better for everyone, uh, but then also uh, put a system kind of behind it where there's follow-up and uh, the business has actually seen some some internal value from the internship. The students are getting a little more of a um, uh, uh, structured experience over the summer. Mm -hmm. uh, we also do what we call the the year-round uh, team-building internship program where you're, you just kind of always have interns around so that you can pluck the best out for your team. Sure. Uh, which is great. And then we also have uh, a guild program where we take people who just they're, they're just not in any position yet to be able to go represent themselves in a workforce. And we pair them with someone who's already kind of a master in their profession. And they, they work with that person to build themselves a bit of a resume, a project portfolio. And then um, we pair them with smaller businesses and nonprofits that need like cheap hourly work and things like that. And, very, just kind of that, facilitate facilitate that relationship. Yeah, that's very cool. Are, are you familiar with John Taylor Gatto? I'm not. Oh, you're not. No. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Okay, uh, I'll I'll send you some books. 
Okay. And it's gonna, it's gonna, um, it's gonna rock your world. It's so aligned with uh, what we can talk offline about that. But um, well, this, the, so so I, I, I'm so close to answering both questions. <laughs> so the bottom line is this so is that, a recurring theme in this episode, Chris. So we'll stop. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll stop interrupting. No, I apologize. You're fine. I, I you're my, fine. my no, train no, no. my train of thoughts can uh, be hard to derail there. Um, so, so that apprentice and the podcast came out of the same thing. So apprentice was wanting to help people from a practical standpoint. The podcast was just like, I just want to have a pod. I, I couldn't get myself up to do a marketing podcast cause I shoot myself at night talking about that all day. <laughs> I couldn't get myself to do a podcast for all, for all these kind of like things people were saying you should do a podcast for. I finally just, just said, you know, what? I'm just going to do an hour where I talk about all the stuff everyone lies to young kids about. And and won't won't tell the truth about to each other. That's interesting. And won't talk about. And let's just let's just have a podcast where we actually talk about the stuff that that affects us all, but we don't talk about. And that was. And so uh, so Kate Carr is a, a member of Apprentice as well. Yes. Yeah. And and her encouragement is was what helped me start the podcast. Too. Interesting. Because I would go on rants. And I, I, I mean, everyone who works with me know I rant. Like, there's little things that will set me <laughs> off, if you haven't noticed. And, and Kate's like, just do this on a podcast. That's funny. Wow. Uh, that's, yeah, that's interesting. Now, I didn't, you know, now that you kind of tell me what was the impetus for the, for the podcast, now it makes kind of even more sense. I can see how they tie together. Mm-hmm. Um do you now? Do you have do some apprentice interns? Are they doing it instead of, let's say, college, or is it a supplemental thing? So it's very important for me right now uh, to say we are not a college alternative. Uh-huh. Uh huh. For it, some sort of liability reason. <laughs> uh, for for strategic reasons, ah, yeah. uh, there, there's a several reasons. Okay, first of all, because as as a quote-unquote self-made man. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I I have my own skepticisms of college. Okay? As do I. However, uh, I work with lots of people who have been through college, and I have to respect the fact that they they tell me it really helped me. It was a big, you know, even sure. though it didn't help me necessarily make a living. There's a lot of personal maturing I went through. Oh, I and, hear that all the time. You know, yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't ever want to be in a position where I'm the one discouraging someone from going to college. Yeah, it's a risky. I mean, it's a it's a big thing. It's a it feels like it's a big gamble. Right. You know. Yeah. So what I would say is that we have helped people who couldn't go to college. Interesting. Uh, or, we, you know, so so we've helped people in these situations. We have helped people who. They just were not in a position to go to college, either because of financial reasons. They, they kind of missed out on the, the boat. You know, we have a very rigid story that we like to tell about life in America. And <laughs> sure. if, your, if your story doesn't match up, you kind of you lost your opportunity. Right. You know, if you, you can go, there's a lot of systems and forces in place to get you into college after high school. If you, if you, you know, you have maybe a year of leeway, but if you miss that train, it, yeah. it, you can't go back. Like, it's almost impossible to go back. Right. And, and so uh, we have a lot of people that missed the train that, that were able to get started in careers. Um, we have a lot of people who went to college but then found out that they were still unequipped for the workforce. So we have to kind of – we're there to put that polishing edge on it. Um, what I would tell you, uh, one of the mottos we have is that we hire for potential, not pedigree. One of the biggest things I – I learned, and it's hard for me to say I learned because this was actually an assumption I just had going into life. Uh, It's something I I preach a lot is when you put someone in the right place, it's the whole Einstein fish climbing a tree thing. You you put someone in the right place. You don't necessarily have to teach them the practicals of the trade. You know, you put a developer in the right place, he will learn how to develop because programmer coders are born coders. I mean, they're coders have it in their blood. They love it. Yeah. You put a coder in the right place, he'll learn any language, you know, he'll learn. I mean, he, he can do it. What he won't know how to do is make his bed in the morning, go to sleep on a good time at night, handle conflicts <laughs> in the workplace, you know, learn to check his email. Yeah. So what we tell people is we have it backwards. We spent so much time and money and effort teaching people 
things that they are perfectly capable of learning on their own. But we aren't spending the time it takes to teach them life skills, professional skills, personal development. So our mentoring and internship programs focus on putting people in the right place, helping them understand, you know, we work, we have a series of things we do to help them find that place. Mm -hmm. And then um, working on the stuff you don't get in school, which, you know, all the professional skills that make life somewhat easy to manage or at least possible to manage, those are the things we focus on. I'll tell you a story. I, I see. I think what you're talking about is, you know, experience. Experience is what is what key, kids need. They have the they have the potential. Right. They already have that, whatever that thing is, and so they just need some experience to ignite the flame and, and, and opportunity. Get, yeah, sure. Yeah. So uh, with Prometheus, um, I'll tell you a story about the best uh, computer technician we ever hired. We had interviews one day, and we almost uh, skipped the interview. This was this was over ten years ago. We almost skipped the interview because we happened to have a really weird Exchange server issue with one of our clients. We could not figure it out. It it kept us up all night. The interview was like at nine in the morning, and we almost skipped it because we still couldn't fix this darn problem. It was the weirdest thing we ever saw. And back in those days, um, the other partner, uh, Denver Abernathy, he and I would do all interviews together. That was a long time ago. So he and I are sitting there. The guy comes in. And I'm looking at the, his resume, and there wasn't IT. You, you want to know what his job experience was? What? He was a fly fishing salesman. <laughs> he was a fly fishing salesman, Chris. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there thinking, why in the how did this guy even get an interview right and now his capabilities he it was all it it was servers it was all the right stuff and denver and i were sitting there thinking how quickly can we beat boot this guy out the door so we can get back to our problem and just on a whim denver said hey what would you do with this problem and he explained our exchange server problem to this guy he immediately said ah here's what's going on here's how you fix it I've seen this, you know, several times. I said, uh, "You're where have you seen this? You're selling fly fly fishing lures." Well, what he did at home—that's what he did for work. At home, he was a mad scientist. He was a mad computer scientist. Yeah. He had servers. He had workstations. He had every <laughs> single iteration. And you know, that was a lesson for me. In um, first of all, you don't. You just need experience. You don't, what your resume says right. doesn't necessarily, and I'll share with you too, we have an internship program here and we've used interns for years. And you know what we do with interns? We give them the exact same job that a full-time guy out of college um, would get. No difference. And you know what's crazy? They handle it just fine. Oh yeah. So we we are living, breathing, breathing proof that at least in in um, our industry, you know, it's not about what some piece of paper from some college right. you know says. That that has very little to do. And as a matter of fact, when we're looking for people, we probably glance at that for a couple of seconds, and it doesn't matter. You know, we want to know what can you do and what are you capable of doing. So that's fascinating. How much of your time is taken up by apprentice? How do you juggle everything? Are you, are you constantly doing this juggling act? So I want to, um, I am juggling. Yes. <laughs> I want to just build on what you just said on internship. Sure, sure. Um, so one of the best software developers I've ever worked with, and he's currently, I think, a lead of a software team now. He came from a liquor store. Wow. Uh, we we had this uh, we had we put a joke on our contact form like why you're contacting us and one of the lines was I I need a job and I work for free and we put it on there as a joke but he selected it filled out the form and he actually came in and said I'll do anything I just want to get out of here I said okay I gave <laughs> I built him a curriculum uh, I I every day he came in I gave him work to do he did that free for three months and by the end of that he had learned enough to do real work. I gave him some real work anyways. So, and yeah, and there real. you go. I, I, every time I hear Indiana talk about this workforce shortage, I think I am a man with a warehouse full of grain and a famine. And my problem <laughs> is that no one thinks it's edible. 
Your gift for words, Chris. That's so awesome. And but but no, the problem is no one thinks it's edible. They don't. They, it's like the whole world's forgotten how to eat that green. And and a great example is I had a software company saying, "Hey, can you help me? I'm trying to uh, get this front end developer role filled. I can't." And I said, "Let me look at your job description." And they had in there um, must have five years of experience in Angular, which which is a front end which hadn't existed technology. for five years. And it hadn't like I'm like guys, I'm pretty sure this this language is only four years old. You're not going <laughs> to even find you know what who wrote this? Yeah. You know, and it's because we have all these pedigree expectations of, and 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 we put we make people fill all these arbitrary, you know, uh, square square pegs and round holes and all that stuff, and and it's all made up because it's of hyper normalization tradition. We think that's the way you do stuff, yes. And we're just missing out, and a lot of people, a lot of talent is going to waste, a lot of productivity is being lost, and so, you know, I, there's my soapbox. <laughs> just it, it, yeah, absolutely. No, I, so, uh, I, 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 I hear I'm buying what you're selling. Totally. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's been, um, you know, we're, we're still growing. So there's a lot of, you know, my life is not stable. <laughs> um, I, it's been, it's been, it's been difficult to, to, to juggle everything. You know, we've bootstrapped this. It, there's no investment or anything, you know, so I'm still doing consulting. I'm still, yeah, you know we're doing all this stuff, and uh, I mean it's been successful. We've we've we we look back on the books, and we've uh, graduated twenty two interns. Wow, this year, and, and I use the term graduate loosely. It just means that they came into a program, we we got them through it. They had a positive experience, and they got a better job. You know, moving forward. Very cool. That says um, a lot. So, uh, you know, it was a variety of different companies and things and stuff. And know, getting so. but getting back to that integrity thing for a minute. You know, you have found a way to, I think, probably make the world a little bit better place. Certainly those those students that go through your program, how could they not be better off? You know they are. And kudos to you. That's that's really cool that you uh, that you figured that out and pursued that. Well, we're still figuring it out. I, I consider my students my customers as much as I do my customers. Sure. Uh, one thing that, that sets us apart completely in this space because there's been a lot of alternative education things going up. Yep, I'm aware. We do not charge students. Ever. Good for you. Uh, we, we, we don't have, I use the word curriculum, um, uh, but we're really putting together, you know, basically kind of onboarding and training programs for, for companies to help bring kids on or, yeah. again, just kind of guiding. We're not writing textbooks, okay? Again, we're just helping people have a, have a structure to go in the right direction. Uh, so, you know, we're not doing classes, you know, it, it, everything's very, it's very Socratic. It's very, you know, uh, uh, you give a kid a huge daunting task that's impossible for them to do. And we tell them to ask questions till they get through it. Interesting. Um, and, and it's, it's the time it's, it's the, the mentoring time that makes the difference. And, uh, you know, but we don't charge kids. So, so. We have a lot of people come to us that they just dropped like ten grand here or five grand here on quote unquote alternative coding Educate, classes yeah, and things yeah, like that, yeah. and they're like, "I'm I'm now in debt again, and I still don't have a job." And I, I I'll interview them, I'll meet with them, yeah. I'm like, "I'm sorry to tell you, but you don't have the professional skills. You're not polished. You don't know how to apply this to a project." Uh, you know, and 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 so that's the bad news. I can't, I can't put you into a job right now. The good news is I can give you a chance to polish these skills and I won't charge you. And as a matter of fact, I might even be able to get you to get paid a little while we do it. That's awesome. Did, uh, did you like school yourself? Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't figure you did. No, 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 no. I no. didn't either. I mean, I liked it up to a certain age, but then as I, you know, kind of start growing, maturing, it just, I, my tolerance for it yeah. kept getting less and less. And I actually didn't even go to my high school graduation. My One of my teachers chased me down to give me my diploma. Oh, my goodness. That's, I didn't go to my college graduation. Uh, I, I went to my high school, although, you know, okay, I don't know. that. But college was, I saw no point of going to my college graduation. But most in most of my um, time in school, I mean, even as a kid, I used to sit there and think, what in the world are we doing? <laughs> like, why, yeah. are, why are we doing this? And now reflecting back as a business owner, I, it's very clear to me that to run my business, I had all the education I needed when I graduated from eighth grade. That's it. I was set. And I look back and I say, 
while, yes, I did mature and I met some great people and made some great friendships and had experiences, um, I really I could have started a career, you know, as a whatever. What is that? 15. What are you in, as a freshman in high school? 15, 14, something like that. Um, so I really I delayed starting kind of my professional life by eight years um, because that's what you're supposed to do. You know, right. I guess legally, I'm, I, I mean, I, I suppose you have to go through high school, right? That's, you can't, it, it's it, lock your parents up if you don't go to high school. Yeah. But uh, that's awesome. So uh, is ChrisTheBrain.com the best way for people to get in touch with you? So, uh, you? yeah. So the podcast yeah. and my content, what I write, my personal you know, uh, vomiting of opinions and, and ideas. <laughs> Your personal uh, brand. All that goes on ChrisTheBrain.com. Yep. Uh, uh, apprentice, which is a combination of the words apprentice plus ace. Ah. And and everyone's like, oh, that's so clever. But the truth is it's just the .com was available, <laughs> uh, You know, which is the hard part these days. And that's A-P-P-R-E-N-A-C-E. Yes, A-P-P-R-E-N-A-C-E.com. And if you got a nice Hoosier accent, that's how you say the word anyway. Ah, that's interesting. We, we always leave out the T's when we say apprentice. Uh, you, you know, not everyone likes to, to put the T in there, apprentice. Yes. Um, but it's... Uh, uh, we like to, you know, but we do like the story to say, you know, we take people from a beginner to to an ace. And we like to tell people interns can be your MVPs, you know, and 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 just I think a lot of people haven't experienced that. And yeah. we really want to get that message out that, you know, stop hitting your brain on a wall. Uh, disrupt. Stop disrupting your company culture by always having to bring in someone new from the outside who comes with the baggage. Is, is, is not, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Chris, okay. is not having uh, an apprentice a way to try before you buy? I mean, why would a business owner not do yeah, that? You know, I, I, I'm a marketer, so let's play cynical for a minute. Yeah. Uh, you're right. And that's the, that's, the, that's the value prop to a business is, you know, an apprenticeship has a, uh, and an internship have a limited time frame. The, the, the legal requirement of an internship is that you, give them a start date and an end date. Ah. So at the end of that internship, you, you don't have to, you don't, you're not like, do we fire them? It's, it, it ends. It just ends. It, yeah. And it, and, and you have a planned ending and you uh, make sure that, and we always tell people there's some things you really need to give people before they leave to be, to, to, to do your duty and sure, play, you know, uh, give back to community. So things like LinkedIn reviews for your interns, help them fill out their project portfolio so they can describe what they did during their time with you. Mm-hmm. We, we do all those things. Um, but we, yeah, the, the idea is that, that you get, you have a kind of a constant circulation of interns and the ones that work great, you get to pick out and keep for your company. The ones that don't, you get to give feedback and maybe help them find a better fit the next time. But no one's like, what did I do? Cause it just, it ends. Yeah. You know, it ends and it takes a lot of the drama out of it. Um, and, and every time it ends, we, eva- we, you know, we have professional mentors that have been in business for, for, for decades. And, and even, you know, older people look to him as mentors. Harry Howe is one of our uh, mentors, and he's just a beautiful person. Uh, we call him corporate grandpa. <laughs> uh, and he, um, he helps young people when they get through an internship go, did I enjoy it? What was I good at? What was I not good at? And, Spe- and- speaking of Harry, uh, the Failure Institute, is that what he what he's doing these the failure institute the yes. failure institute yeah. I, I love that and you helped him kind of brand that right so i did or not are you invo- okay uh, so so he came to me uh he came to me um he was working with um another company um and he came to me and said i've been tasked with kind of growing this so the failure institute was actually started by ron brumbarger okay and uh, he, I think, asked Harry to run it. And then Harry came to me and just said, help. <laughs> so so we, we helped him, uh, you know, just get every, you know, he worked with some of uh, our interns and, and it, we helped him get the website pulled together. We helped him with email. We helped yeah. him. Uh, but I am not the uh, uh, got it. brand. Okay, got brand it. Brand yeah, that. yeah. Well, speaking of. Um, I just love Harry. And so if you ask oh, me, he, me to do something, I do it. Even just hearing Harry talk, and I know he's been on your podcast, mm-hmm. and I've, I've 
met Harry years and years ago. Um, even just hearing him talk is very soothing. He's just a... He's a great guy. Yeah, he is. He is a, he's a giver for sure. But uh, speaking of internships needing to end <laughs> or having an ending time, we're uh, our recorder here is about to end. Sure. So um, I want to wrap this up. This has been awesome. So christhebrain.com is one way to uh, get a hold of Chris and apprentice.com, A-P-P-R-E-N-A-C-E. Dot com. Chris, it's been awesome having you. I hope we get to do it again. Yes, Thanks well, for coming I'm honored on. to be here. Thank you so much. Oh, it's been great. Uh-huh.